Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I just want to raise a, a basic question. How can we know Jesus or as the Gentiles, you know, who came in John and they said we would see Jesus? How can we see Jesus? And one of the main ways this is, I think, mistakenly answered in our day is to say that we know him primarily through a study of history. That we see Jesus through the mediation of Israel or through time or history. And I want to argue that we see Jesus by being in Christ and Christ in us. Being in his kingdom, part of his kingdom and his kingdom in us. Actually, it's a change in kingdoms. And this is the argument of the book of Galatians, a movement from slavery to freedom, to one kingdom, the kingdom of this world, to the kingdom of Christ. What got me started to think about this, one of my students, Tim, sent me a book written by a man named Del Allison. I don't know if you've ever heard of this quest for the historical Jesus. And this has been going on since the turn of the century. But it's an academic effort to determine, you know, well, we got the four Gospels and they're different. And can we really trust any of the four? How do we determine which were really the words of Jesus? What Allison concludes in this quest for the historical Jesus, even about himself, he spent much of his life connected with this is that it really doesn't matter the various techniques and they've come up with various ways of determining the historical words of Jesus or the historical image. But they always see Jesus as their own image. The example he uses, an Irish John Dominic Crossan who was one of the famous questers, he sees Jesus, oh he was like a first century peasant resisting imperial injustice. Well, that sounds a lot like an Irish peasant resisting the imperial injustice of the British in the name of a Catholic or Celtic vision. And what Allison comes to is that it's not the historical Jesus that is determinative, but the theological understanding of Jesus. We have these accounts, and they do tell the the story of Jesus in different sequence and with different emphasis. But what is important is it's not so much how you line up the historical events or how you harmonize them, maybe, but the meaning that you attach to these events. And that becomes the interpretive frame. And so he names his book, The Historical Christ and the Theological Jesus. The search for the historical Christ, apart from the theological Jesus, is simply testimony to the fact that everyone is bound by their own understanding until they really encounter the theological Christ. Now he's a little slow in coming to this, but I'll jump. Let me just quote one of the things in the final chapter. He says, persuaded that the true nature of things is not obvious, Jesus in word and deed sets out with gusto to fracture the hypnotic hold, life as it has always been. He endeavors in Coleridge's words to awaken our minds from the lethargy of custom and to remove the film of familiarity and selfish solicitude that covers our eyes. He seeks to shift attention, to alter perception, 
to expand awareness, to change behavior. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a call to abandon rote behavior, to forsake reflexive ways. And so we can read the Bible with the notion that history is the key thing and we're liable to miss Jesus. We're liable to miss the idea of salvation. There's a whole approach, and in fact this is the way maybe the most famous theologian of our day is a man named N.T. Wright. And what he is saying is exactly what I'm not saying, and that is that we should read the books of the Bible, the history, as a kind of continuous history. And this understanding, the fall at the beginning, the covenants between God and Noah, Abraham, Moses, and then the establishment of David's dynasty, that all of these in some way are necessary events preparing for the salvation of all by Christ. The church's story, Wright would say, is told in Christ's story, but Christ's story is told in relation to Israel's story. That has to come first. Israel's story is told in relation to Adam's story. And this shapes Wright's account of how we know God and Christ. God is known by our critically realist knowledge of his historical activity. That is, as we sort this out and critique it, certainly as it's given to us by the accounts of Scripture, but in some way it's the history which lies behind Scripture. And it identifies the right knowledge of God with an objective reading of God's activities in the world, and it bypasses the need for God to give us his own person, for God to be revealed to us. And it focuses on a kind of true objective knowledge. And so I hope you see there might be problems with this approach, especially as we turn to a book like Galatians. Wright's account of history and the knowledge of God's presence and activity within it, it reads it all from one direction. Oh, this happened, and then this happened, and then we come to Jesus from Adam forward. But the way that Paul is reading, the way the New Testament reads history is backward, from the vantage point of Christ. That Christ makes sense of history, history does not make sense of Christ. And Paul is going to say to the Galatians, you were there when they crucified Jesus. You know, we sing that song in church, I think that's a good Galatian song. And Wright seems to miss, and I think many people miss, God's transcendent and providential control over each moment in time, over each place. And he's collapsed the divine self-disclosure into history. That is, oh God, in the past or through time. And he identifies that disclosure too simply with an objective historical events behind the text of Scripture. You lose Jesus is what I'm saying. Christ is present in the whole creation and present in all things by his power. That's the startling message of Paul in Colossians, in Ephesians, and in Galatians. He gives order to all things and over all things he's revealing his own providential presence. And he gives life to each and all. Time or history is not the controlling metaphor 
or picture, certainly in Galatians, but in who Christ is. The main idea is that Galatians have been liberated from slavery and they've been given adoption to sonship. And the main thing they have is this new relationship that in Galatians and Romans, Paul identifies this. We cry out, Abba, Father. This idea of Abba, that he's a Papa to us. Paul is not concerned to answer questions of history or salvation history. And he gives to the Galatians the idea, and I think the Bible gives us this focus, that to look to salvation history, we're going to miss Christ with us now. In us, for us, at this moment, in this place. And so Paul's argument in Galatians is not intended to describe the progress. You know, this is often the way we look at history. As if it's a progressive events leading up to the person of Christ. You can live in one of two relationships, I think is the message of Galatians. A relationship with the law, which is a relationship of slavery, or a relationship with God, and a relationship of freedom. So you can be circumcised, and this is what people are coming in and saying, you need to keep Torah, you need to be circumcised. Or you can have faith in Christ, and this is what Paul is saying your choice is. You can either believe in Jesus, or you can believe in the law, but you can't do both. You can be a slave to the law, to the fundamental principles of the world, and Paul equates those two things. Or you can be a son of daughter of God. And so look at chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave. This is the end of the chapter, verse 31. But we're the children of the free woman. As he says in 3 to 5. We are not in slavery, but we're in Christ. If you're in slavery, you're not in Christ. So we too, when we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental principles. Notice the we too. Who's the we here? Paul doesn't care who the we is. It's just us, us folks. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're a Gentile. Everybody was held under the same elementary principles. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born under the law so that he might redeem those who were born under the law. And then he says it again, we, inclusive of these Gentile Galatians, I think we can include ourselves in this we, that we might receive the adoption of sons and daughters. And so Paul is equating the status of the history of the Jews and the status of the history of the Gentiles. It doesn't matter. Living under the elementary principles of the world and living under the law amount to the same thing. Verse 8 of chapter 4. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slave to those which by nature are not God's. He's saying this was your status before you became a Christian. 
And now the danger is by turning to the law, by turning to Judaism, it's like turning back to your idolatrous ways. In verse 9, But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles to which you want to be enslaved all over again? You hear what he's saying? You Galatians... You were enslaved to idolatry. Now you're going to enslave yourselves to the law. You meticulously observe days and months and seasons and years. That's what the Judaizers want them to do. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. And so the benefits that Paul describes in the letter are benefits that believers enjoy in Christ. The in here, actually the Greek here is also in, is a spatial metaphor. It has nothing to do with history. It has nothing to do with time. It has to do with where you're located. Are you in Christ or not? Believers, he says in 2.4, find their freedom in Christ. In 2.17, they are justified in Christ. They are sons of God in Christ. In 3.26, For you all were sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus or through the faith of Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul describes his experience before believing in Christ he says I was in Judaism I was in a different place I was in a different country I was in a different state I was in the law under the domain of the law and this is opposed to being in Christ are you in a good place or are you in a bad place being in Christ has nothing to do with history or time in this sense and so Paul describes his ministry. It's a territorial war. Two kingdoms are pitted against each other. His opponents who have been sent to Galatia from Jerusalem, they're pictured as spies who have sneaked in. But he says, don't give way to them. And Paul's opponents, he says, they would shut the Galatians, again a place word, outside outside the kingdom, outside the church, outside the community. But he says what you need to do is cast such characters out. And he uses the example of the slave woman and her child. At the end of the book, Paul gets very graphic. He says, you know, they want you to circumcise yourselves. Well, they need to cut themselves off. Now, he may mean cut themselves off from the community, but he also means they should just cut their genitalia off. Just go the whole way. We who are in Christ are in a better place, he says. I'm afraid if we get caught up in time, in history, if we are searching, questing for the historical Jesus, there is a turn, I'm afraid, back to the elemental principles in Paul's language. A turn back to history, to law to the fundamental principles, and that is a turn away from Christ 
as we know him, the theological Jesus. You know, this is what Paul says, the law found its purpose in the love fulfilled in Christ in 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is the law and its commandments summed up. Or in 6.2 he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law. And so the point is not that the law is in some way per se the problem. No, the law, the promises given to Abraham are fulfilled in Christ. And so the Galatians have been liberated from their former slavery, but they're, they're running the risk of returning to that old domain. I think we always run that risk. And Paul has to ask, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly element, the elemental spirits. He assures them that if they seek to be justified in the law, they will be released from Christ. I'm afraid we can turn from Christ when we focus to searching out Christ in time or history. We're questing for Jesus in the wrong place. And the question is your present relationship to God as a child of God, not as slaves, but as children. Those in Christ are slaves to one another, he says. Those outside try to force others into slavery. That's very different. Those in Christ are justified by God through faith. The others seek to be justified by works of the law. Those in Christ suffer with him. That's a big sign. You know, do you bear the cross of Christ? Or would you put other people on crosses? And that's the sign of the teachers, as Paul calls them, the, the enemies, that they would cause suffering and persecution. The characteristic thing, he says in 3.3, is that those in Christ have the Spirit. You've begun by the Spirit. Are you so foolish to now turn to the flesh. In 5.22, he describes this life in the spirit. It's a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, Paul says. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh. They've escaped the law. And if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well, Paul says. And the way you get here is not easy, in a sense. In 2.20, he says, those in Christ have been united with him in crucifixion. 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The eye is dead. The eye is crucified. The fleshly way, the desires of the flesh. The life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so Paul is describing a present tense reality brought about by the cross of Christ. In 6.14 he says, 
Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's not boasting in the law. He's not boasting, as he says in Philippians, about his being a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. But he's boasting about the cross of Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me, and so I to the world. We've been transformed from one world to another world. The others, the teachers, the enemies, are not willing to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He says in 6.12, All who want to make a good showing in the flesh, they try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul says that's your choice. You can be circumcised or you can take up the cross, but you cannot do both. Now certainly there are historical or temporal categories in the book of Galatians. Paul recounts his own personal history. And he does allude both to the history of Israel and to the history of the Galatians. But his purpose is not to provide an overview of salvation history. He is recounting this history to explain the nature of the Galatians' transition from slavery to freedom. I don't believe Paul's interested in the history of Israel for its own sake. He's not trying to show how Israel's salvation eventually would benefit the Gentiles. That's not what he's doing. Instead, he shows the parallels between his own personal history as a Jew and the history of the Galatians. He's saying, I have this history in Judaism, you have this history in paganism, it amounts to the same thing. He says, I used to be a persecutor, but now I'm being persecuted. The Galatians, though, are tempted to move in the opposite direction, from being the suffering and persecuted people of God to being like the teachers that would avoid persecution to gain a standing in the world. Just like Paul used to destroy the church before he was a Christian, so do the Galatians now run the risk, he says, of biting and devouring and destroying one another. Paul was transformed through a direct intervention by God on the road to Damascus, revealing his son to him. He said the Galatians have also been transformed as God intervened and gave the Spirit, when Christ, he says, was portrayed as crucified before your eyes. All of these points converge between Paul's story and the story of the Galatians in 4.12. He says, become like me because I have become like you. We share a history, a history in Christ, and our previous history does not matter. In Christ, all of you, who is he referring to? The Galatians, he's referring to all of us, are God's children through faith. As many of you have been baptized, as many of you have clothed yourselves in Christ. Who's he talking about here? It's not important to clarify, oh, this is Israel's story, or this is the Galatians' story, or this is your story. He's saying this is all of our stories. And what is important is that all of these stories concern a transition from captivity to freedom. Look at 4, 5 to 6. 
so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Again, there's no historical line that runs from Abraham through Israel, but rather it jumps immediately to Christ. Justification of the Gentiles is directly and immediately connected to Abraham and God's promise fulfilled in Christ. That's his argument. He jumps over the Jews. And so the conclusion here, time in relation to world history, salvation history, or cosmic history is not interesting to Paul. The only history that is important in this letter is the Galatians' own history as they've come into Christ. They have moved from slavery to freedom. And Paul's references to his personal history, the history of Israel, served to illustrate the nature of this same thing, from slavery to freedom. We all have the same transference, the same history. It describes the two domains that the letter sets out, slavery under the law and adoption to sonship. And the Galatians have been liberated from slavery by God's direct intervention in Christ into their lives. And so have we. Through union with Christ and his crucifixion, we are severed, crucified to the world. We are severed from this evil world and placed in a new realm, a new place in which we enjoy adoption as sons and daughters of God. If you would see Jesus, this is the place in which you encounter him. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.